Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Boom Goddess Podcast Project with your hosts, myself, Dr. Andrea Goldmarks, Jennifer Davis Page, and Bibi Peters. This podcast aims to ignite inspiration in primetime women by creating a super learning community, a safe space for all women to contribute their voices and visions. For more information on this episode and to learn more, visit us at boomgoddessradio.com. Hi, and welcome to Boom Goddess Radio, an episode that will be presented by our wonderful team of the goddesses, Dr. Andrea Gould, who's here, and uh, Jennifer Davis-Page, and this is B.B. Peters. We're talking today about the word goddess, uh, of course, the word in our name, Boom Goddess Radio, and then the word goddess as it came to be. And we became Boom Goddess Podcast because we were originally serving women of boomer age and the using the term goddess to really describe the huge reach and um, ability of people in this age group to do so much with what we have and have been fortunate enough to learn, experience, and essentially accumulate the resources to be able to share with the world. So it really had nothing to do with our divinity or our sacredness or our religious beliefs. Definitely not a goddess religion, but more a loosely descriptive term that would be really inclusive of the, the role and the soul of femininity in the very largest sense. Well, my question is, what is a goddess? Is there a goddess in every woman? How can ancient mythological goddess concepts be useful in today's woman? It's such an interesting question because back in 1984, a Jungian psychiatrist actually named Jean Shinoda Bolin wrote a book called Goddesses in Every Woman. And in 1984, this book really struck me as being such a, a great discourse on feminine psychology. And the reason I thought so was because it wasn't kind of a Freudian exploration or um, a behavioral exploration, but rather using the myths, originally Roman myths, Greek myths, to describe the different archetypes that women hold. And an archetype is really simply an inner pattern or predisposition for what we're attracted to and, and who we wind up being, the choices we wind up making. Very simply, they're um, essentially um, patterns that are indicative of maidenhood, of motherhood or that next stage of life where we nurture careers and we nurture friendships or we nurture children. And then the later years where we really come into our own. So Goddesses in Every Woman was a very explicit direction of all of that based on Greek goddess myths. And so it had something to do with power, right? It had something to do with identifying those characteristics that we can then see possibly in ourselves and how they define our behavior. Basically, it is a doorway into self-knowledge when we can identify with any role model, in a sense, out there. And what Jean Bolin did in this book was she definitely chose modern women, that modern at the time of the 1980s, uh, as exemplars, as role models for power, for nurturance, for the the synthesis of of beauty and intellect and uh, activism. Well, you know, I, I 
Goddess is new for me. And, you know, I loved it when we selected the name, um, but I did not, you know, I used to hear men say to other to women, you know, and I think in their flirting, you're a real goddess, you know, and I knew that they were, they were flirting, but I'm wondering even if they knew really what the definition was, or if they were just trying to, uh, you know, get a date and a drink. Um, but I think that the goddesses is, I mean, it, it's, I mean, it is, the word has, is centuries old. And for us in the 21st century to be able to um, connect it with today's woman is, is I think, wonderful. And um, Jen, I like the way you were thinking about it relevant to our name. So with Boom Goddess Radio, uh, it's really Boomer Goddess Radio. Um, and Boomer meaning that particular generation of people born between certain uh, dates and we love the sound of the word boom and when you add the goddess to it it was the ultimate choice for us wasn't it absolutely interestingly enough uh, there is something special about our generation in terms of we have been a generation that has had more education more opportunity a larger vision of the earth and the ability to connect and influence and in a sense borrowing back into the mythology of greek mythology the goddesses there were really all sprung from one major goddess which was basically the earth mm -hmm. and it isn't really any different than we were talking last time to an elder and an advocate uh, around water issues from the Native American culture. And basically, the first cultures on Earth were all agrarian and all saw the Earth as, um, as, as an interconnected body. And so I think in our modern definition of goddess, there's a mindset that us 21st century women can't help but have, which is more global. So you're saying that the women with the Abunijiaki tribe in Wisconsin, Mary Ellen and Kathy, they're really goddesses in a way in that they're goddesses of the water systems, of protecting the water. I can't wait for us to, in the next uh, segment to talk a little bit more about each of the goddesses and see how we may fit into those characteristics. Or what we might relate to in their descriptions. Yes. Great idea. Let's do it. Welcome back to the podcast. We're here with Jennifer Davis Page, BB Peters, and myself, Dr. Andrea, and we're talking about the relationship of the word goddess to really the true essence of it all, which is basically female role models. And Jennifer just brought up the fact that in seduction back in the day, you know, a man might refer to a woman as a goddess, even if she wasn't the goddess of the stage and screen. But we also have female role models as far back as the beginning of every culture, every culture. And there were um, aspects of femininity that were represented in the stories and mythologies of all cultures, including the Bible, where we had the women uh, that were represented and that did major, major um, uh, changes. So we have female role models in the indigenous cultures. And so here we are in the 21st century and maybe some people in the future are going to be looking back at us and seeing what we women accomplished in the 21st century. Tell me, Doctor, when did you first get interested in, in, in investigating uh, about goddesses? What year was that? I would say originally in the late 70s, because what happened is that in the late 60s and into the 70s, when I was in graduate school, we started forming what they called consciousness raising groups, where we would 
select or um, be invited into a circle of women where we really began to talk about the inequalities in the male-female relationship. And just to be a little glib about it was like who was doing the housework, who was earning the money. There were roles that were discussed and there was a lot of support in those circles. And so the women's movement coincided with courses being offered at universities on female psychology. And so when those two forces came together, which was basically a political movement and a psychological movement, myself, because of the age that I was and where I was in my education, that became a real focal point and talking about the psychology of women. So one of the first psychiatrists to write on that subject was Jean Bolin, who we mentioned in the last segment, who wrote a book that was based on, it was feminine psychology, seen through the myths of the Greek goddesses, who were also very similar and using different names for the Roman goddesses. But if you look at the qualities that were personified in any of these female role models, we see them in all cultures. The Celtic culture, we see it in the native culture, we see it in all aboriginal cultures, because women, there's no way to say it any differently, are the life givers and therefore the protectors of life. I had the privilege about 20 years ago, and the circle wasn't, they didn't, the, I, I had the privilege of being in a circle with Native American women, and I had never been in a woman's circle before, and I was introduced to it uh, by my brother, who is a Native American spiritualist. So he asked me to come and join the women, and I did. And we sat on the ground, and we had a talking stick. I didn't know what the talking stick meant, but they were wonderful women, of course, and they knew that I was a, a newbie to the group, and they instructed me as, as wonderfully as they, as they do. And they went around and they told their stories. They held the talking stick and they told their story. And when they were finished, they would then pass it on to the next woman that wanted to tell her story. I thought this was, an, I thought this was so comforting to me because at the time I was going through some difficult times in my life. And I walked away from that circle very, very comforted. And I found it amazing that a lot of these women were strangers to one another but they still still shared secrets that um, you wouldn't think anybody would tell to anyone but a, a close personal friend. But they knew that once they told their story, that the story would not be gossiped about. And so they were very, so I was, I was very, and I, I told my story and they helped me. So I think that the, the talking circle is, is an amazing exercise. And the, what you're describing is, in a sense, the um, resolve to hold sacred space. And the circle itself goes back, I mean, think about Stonehenge, think mm -hmm. about a circle of stones, think about the fact that every, every culture has its way of containing the wisdom of that culture and of preserving the sacredness of the stories that are exchanged. So I, I think the women's consciousness raising groups came from that because at that point women were becoming educated in the ways of the world and the boundaries between cultures at that time were opening up. And women were really grateful for that openness. So yes, you know, it's quite amazing. I can remember my first consciousness raising group and how safe it felt. And I remember I was learning to play the flute at that time and I brought my flute to the consciousness raising group and I, I shared with everybody that I could play B flat. Mm -hmm. And everybody was just as excited because it was a place where you could share what you were learning as well as the things that brought you to tears, what was going on in the intimacy of your, your relationship. And it sure feels like whether it be the circles or identifying with some of the characteristics of the goddesses, it gives us a sense of belonging. It uh, helps us to identify and belong to a group and therefore be stronger, more fearless in how we see our life. We refer to it 
in psychology as as in a way kind of a binocular vision where we have the inside of our self-knowledge and then what resonates with us on the outside so that we're able to get more clear about our insides by relating to all women on the outside so we get to see where we're similar and that similarity validates us and that's something that women have always needed is that self-validation. Welcome back to Boom Goddess Podcast. This is your Boom Goddess Jennifer here with her her friends, Dr. Andrea Gould Marks and Boom Goddess Bibi Peters. We are going to continue our discussion about the goddesses of the past. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about the individual names that they have um, retained, the Greek and Roman mythology names. Let's identify a couple of those. So Hera, and you can correct my pronunciation, <laughs> Andrea, <laughs> you goddess uh, diva. You. Right. Uh, so Hera is the goddess of marriage, for instance. And we all know Aphrodite, right? It, would she be one of the most famous ones? She's the goddess of love. Why, why are we associating with her in all, on all counts? <laughs> well, I, you know, I think that when, um, when my mentor, Jean Bolin, uh, described these Greek goddesses, she described them in three categories. One was the category of the virgin goddess, um, and that was illuminated by Persephone's journey into the underworld. And um, she was a maiden goddess. There was Hestia, who is the goddess of the hearth and spirituality. No men necessarily involved in Hestia's mythological life. And then we have married goddesses like Demeter, who's a mother, and Hera, who is Zeus's wife, who is the goddess of marriage, Demeter being the goddess of grain and feeding. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aphrodite, for instance, oh, and well, Okay, then there's Artemis, who, if you picture her with her bow and arrow, Mm -hmm. with animals running behind her and alongside of her, and she's kind of like the major activist goddess. And then there's Athena, who's the goddess of wisdom and strategy, and really was an advisor to men. And then there's what Jean uh, Bolin called the alchemical goddess, which is Aphrodite, who mixes all of those qualities together and really is probably the archetype of the most modern goddess our 21st century goddess we go back to what year when the greek when this when the greek goddesses what are we is this bc yeah definitely okay. and actually it also goes back to the paleolithic times which is way 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 back then when uh, stone was just being made as tools was mm-hmm. being used as tools and goddess images were around at that time and we can tell that from the relics that are left behind yes, yes. and many of them um, etched on pottery Um, and particularly moving and very popular back in the 1970s was an image of a goddess in the form of what was originally cast in stone, Um, this image of this goddess giving birth, but what she was giving birth to was the planet. So that was, in a sense, Gaia, who is taught about and thought about mythologically as the goddess of the earth, as the guardian of the earth. And there are many, um, there are many organizations this day called the Gaia Organization, which are organizations of activists who are protecting the earth, climate change, water, etc. But all of these goddesses emerged from indigenous cultures way before we had any nationalism. And then as cultures grew in different regions of the world, the, the Nordics had their goddesses, the, um, the Americans, Native Americans, had their women who they divined. Their grandmothers. Their, the grandmothers, the elders, every culture, even, like we said, the Bible culture. When I read about uh, the definition of the goddesses and... Uh, I came across some really beautiful verses, and 
Uh, one of them said that goddesses are kind, compassionate, and love without judgment, which I thought was 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 beautiful because I I feel that um, in the group of women that we have around us and supporting us, these are all these are all. Um, what word am I trying to find? Uh, these are all representative. Repre- no, or these these women um, are are just that. All right. I mean, when we define the kind of women that that's in our not in our circle, but in our social circle, our business circle, uh, we've been very fortunate, or I feel we've been very fortunate to find women that are are truly goddesses. I have not met anyone since since I've moved to this beautiful city that that I can say has been judgmental in, in any way. They've all just been terrifically supportive of everything I've done, everything BB and I have started, and and certainly of, of Boom Goddess podcast. So we have been very fortunate to find these really gifted goddesses. So we're honoring them in a way yes, as well, we right? We're not only talking about the goddess in Boom Goddess uh, podcast. We're talking about the goddess and the soul and spirits of women that are alive at this point in time in the U.S. and the world and um, how we connect with them on a global level. I think there's also something to be said for women um, of a certain age and experience who have learned to incorporate their dark side, their shadow side. They've learned to deal with it by a certain age so that what gets presented is a very grounded and realistic, humble and compassionate um view of being the women we are today if we didn't suffer if we didn't have our darkest moments we wouldn't be as authentic we wouldn't be as real we wouldn't be as able to relate as you're saying in a non-judgmental way if we want to say that i mean i i'm not so sure i agree that that the judgment doesn't exist i think we're socialized well enough these days not to necessarily lead with criticism or lead with dissent but rather the 21st century woman is looking most of the time these days for common ground and to find what matches what resonates and also looking for support and kindness and love and identification um so uh, that's a really important point for us to focus on and how the goddess, how the theme of the goddess shapes our lives. And shapes our future. Welcome back. This is B.B. Peters with the lovely Jennifer Davis Page and the astounding Dr. Andrea Gould. And welcome back to our podcast on goddesses. We want to go back a little bit and think a little bit about the term, the shadow side. How does that exhibit itself in the the goddesses, in us humans? Uh, What is that about, Dr. Andrea? Well, like Jennifer was saying before, that um, sometimes we can look at uh, a woman of great accomplishment and um, great integrity and see everything in a glorious light about her, but all of us human beings have the side that we don't share as easily, the side that might be anxious or the side that might be envious or the side that might be hurting or the side where we've recently experienced a, a devastating change in our life. And so sometimes those sides of us are not necessarily shared. So as a psychologist, I would refer to the unshared sides or the less popular sides of our personality as shadow sides. And so it seems to me that 
we are therefore even more able to identify with the goddesses since we as humans have those sides the light and the dark and the goddesses did as well then we can feel a little bit of comfort perhaps in the fact that they weren't always perfect either yeah i think there's there's no true representation of humanity that's perfect, certainly, or all in one direction. But I do think as mature women, we've learned to reconcile both sides of ourselves. you know, whether it's a fear side that we reconcile with courage, or a side where we've been victimized that we reconcile with forgiveness. Um, part of maturity is being able to bring those polarities together and to be whole, and to be authentic and not to make believe that we don't have sides that might detract or might not look as good. Um, as a matter of fact, lots of women after a certain age, you know, they decide they don't want to they don't want to highlight their hair anymore or they don't want to wear nail polish anymore or they just want to be themselves and that's part of the element of maturity is being able to accept oneself as one is or as a friend to accept the other as they are um yeah maturity i think that the 21st century goddess, boom goddess. Boom. the boom goddess right the boom goddess is a mature goddess who's about ready to be real and to give back well i think that the um even if a goddess isn't sure of her path she takes time to bond with fellow females and i've learned that since i've been here in, in tucson i i've never had a lot of girlfriends but now that I've grown older and I, as a young woman, I didn't have a whole lot of girlfriends. You know, you have women in your life and you have people that you work with. But as, as I, I got older and I, I found more quality women, I'm thinking is the word. And I'm calling them my quality goddesses. And I so enjoy being with them. And I'm experiencing um, a feeling that I didn't have 25 years ago. In, in, in looking, uh, and, and I'm not to say that I didn't have some great female friends 25 years ago, and they still are my friends to this day, and they're my, and they're my boom goddesses, shadow side and all, <laughs> they are my boom goddesses. Um, but I think the bonding experience that we, we have, um, it empowers us, and it's, it, it helps us get down the journey, it helps us with our journey, having great uh, goddesses that can give us advice that we take or not and um, I th it's I think it's quite a privilege it's it's it just gives me chills to to even think about the concept of of these wonderful women these wonderful goddesses and even in the in the um, so so the circle we are in last week the solstice yes. solstice circle yes. that we are in last week and most of these women I had met certainly before uh, and they were very giving and some we hadn't met at all and it felt like we had all been friends for a long time so that I'm getting back to that circle again I really think that to all of our listeners if you have a group of friends and you haven't experienced a circle like that please try it. Please go to someone's home, fix your favorite beverages, and sit around and just have a, um, a wonderful circle and conversation and talk. And it's very, very helpful. There's something about, I think, what you're, what you're describing. There's something about honesty and intimacy and also the regulation of, of the procession of stories or the way people share um, that is that gives permission that improves the quality of attention that really there's there's in a sense like you were talking about earlier the talking stick where nobody dominates the conversation nobody there's not and this was a kind of an old rule in the consciousness raising movement you don't there's no crosstalk there's no cross-examination there's no why do you feel that way women feel safe enough to contribute their story their feelings into a circle that is designated as a safe place 
and in a sense the people that you invite need to understand that that's that's what goes down mm-hmm. in that kind of in that kind of a circle what was so exciting and delightful is to find mirrors of us and other women as they talked uh, it is um, such a warm and comfortable feeling to hear someone else's words and hear your life flashing by you. That, it was amazing. It was amazing. And yeah. that's that's the beauty of, of intimacy and honesty and the truth that we're really all very similar. And just in my in my role in life, in my career as psychologist, I have heard thousands of stories. There's nothing that in a way, almost, I haven't heard mm-hmm. after all these years. So it kind of gives me confidence that even if I'm having a funky feeling, I don't think, oh, I'm the only one who ever had this feeling, for sure. Um, because when there's that tender, safe space to communicate into, we really see that there's, in a way, only one of us here. So what exactly does that mean to be one person? Well, I think the way I meant it was that when we really see all the different shades and colors of our human experience, we really can identify with all of it. Each of us can really identify with all of it. We can identify with the joys and the tragedies and the insecurities and the pride and the Almost any emotion that you can think of is something that we've all experienced at one time or another. And of course, the more years we live, the more experiences we have, the more we can relate. It's part of the beauty of maturity. The mature goddess. Yes, the boom goddess. <laughs> do, you, do you feel that having um, female bonding is good for your health? I... I <laughs> That's a question I want to ask you. Do you. What are your thoughts? What are yours? I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. Uh, it is. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm. You know, I keep talking about these circles. You know, I want everybody in a, in in our listening ear to uh, have a circle. But I think that it is having these wonderful, and they don't necessarily have to be friendships either. They don't. That's, yeah. That's important. They don't have to be friendships. They can just be a group of women that you trust and love in your own way. Tell me what you tell me what your thoughts are, Bibi. Oh, the community of women is supremely powerful to me. Uh, whether it be a group of three girlfriends or even five uh, occasional uh, mm-hmm. friends mm-hmm. or group uh, that includes uh, people that I have not met, but that spirit and right. connection right. that is present when we're allowed to be authentic and true and uh, unencumbered by what our thoughts may be telling us to speak our mind is so delicious. It's so liberating. And that's one of the things, again, one of the gifts of maturity is to be less concerned with being judged and therefore less judging because we see how beautiful it is to just be received and very much connects with uh, a couple of our uh, beginning programs about the power of friendship and longevity. It's certainly about being real that's the Mm life-giving force. Being real, feeling like we're supported, feeling like there are others who are grappling with similar issues. So it's building community in any way we want to build it, whether it's intentional or whether it spontaneously arises, like the solstice gathering we just had. or whether it's purposeful and we cultivate our garden of friendships like the farmers we're capable of being because we know that it takes cultivation. We can't always just rely on it it happening. There is a purposefulness to it. So I think that's another, another aspect that I would certainly endorse would be to be purposeful and nurturing the relationships regardless of the distances. 
Which brings us to our mission. It's completely so. Completely right. so, right? Say and something about that mission? Yeah, about? and it, be, it always comes to us that there are two major components. One is that the, part of our mission is to provide a connection through a community that we are building, with connection being the number one resource for well-being and vitality. And then the other one is to... Uh, release or ease the fears that women have about uh, technology because that in itself is a platform for building connection so that's who we are we're the gardeners of that yeah and i really love the idea that our mission for our not-for-profit which will be born we're still gestating but that will be born probably in late 2016 um, will enable us to maybe use some intergenerational means of helping to ease those fears and increase the courage to connect and um, take the um, onerousness out of the um, connecting with technology and to be able to make that be like second nature for, for people so that as we age, we really don't have to feel isolated and alone. Well, for those of us that are still learning this tech thing, and you ladies know that Jennifer is still learning the tech thing, it's, uh, it's, it, it really adds to your growth because every little piece of something that you learn, every little click, and, you, and, and I still amaze myself sometimes. I know BB is rolling her eyes but, uh, because she's so good at this stuff. But uh, it, is, it is quite wonderful. I, the one thing I wanted to get back to is the women that are in the circle when they tell their stories. And I just want to get back to that for a minute. There's no new stories. As you've said, you've heard as a psychologist thousands of stories. And there are no new stories. And it's comforting to me to know that I'm not the only one that had this problem or I'm not the only one that had that problem. And to, to know that... And to know how other women are dealing with the same issue and perhaps are giving you answers that you didn't have and ways of, of, um, of dealing with it is, oh, I think it's just wonderful. It's a great it, gift. It really is. It, it's a great gift. And they're clues. So we can't necessarily just take somebody else's answer or way but we get clues when we hear enough stories right. then we can create our own story and it can be the simplest thing it could it, it's not necessarily a hard answer it, it certainly is an answer that you could have thought of yourself but you didn't and to hear someone else say i handled it this way and it worked i mean well I, it illuminates the dark yes, places you know? and that's really what we're trying to do here is to shed light on all the ways of life We're expanding our circle. Now we're here with Jennifer Davis-Page, B.B. Peters, myself, Andrea Gould-Marks, and our wonderful guest, Alegria Hayes. And we're here today to take a, a, a look at our new segment that we're calling Illuminaria, where we feature the story of one of our goddesses, in our network doing something wonderful and so today's our opportunity to have a talk with Alegria Hayes. So Alegria Ford, Alegria Hayes, Alegria Ford, now that you are married, welcome to the club and you've been a part of this journey for us for the longest time ever, ever since uh, we started Boom Goddess Radio and your beautiful graphic design work and your website work, it um, serves us well. And we just got an email the other day from someone who said she was fascinated by our website. And we said, that's it. We wanted mm -hmm. to build this to fascinate people. And you did just that. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing now, how you are doing, how are you feeling, what's going on, uh, what is in your path, uh, what are you creating? 
It's been quite interesting to get to the point where I am right now, and I need to explain a little bit about the past. Um, I'm a designer and a brand designer and a web designer, and my life is full of design and beauty. Um, but before I got to today, I had a session with um, Andrea Wool and you, Bibi, um, where I wanted to be fulfilled with my life and not just going through my life in automatic. Um, and I discover that I wanted to be more in contact with the earth and create something for people that came from plants. And my connection with plant has been always um, been very intense since I was a child. Um, I love flowers. I used to drink the nectar of flowers. I used to climb trees, eat fruit. And so I have that connection in the past as a child, like a wild child. And right now we created Awaken Organics like five years ago. And um, we were doing plants and we were doing chocolates and we were trying to figure it out how the connection of plan related to me as a person and what is behind all that. And I was very frustrated with the, um, the spiral that we go through in the rhythm of our lives that keeps coming back to the same place over and over again and not realizing that that's just the norm. I just thought that was not. And realizing that from Andrea when she explained to me the spiral of the kind of like the waves of you know created by the moon um it's like the call the call that keeps calling at different levels of life until like happened with you you can't ignore it anymore right so I went home and for a couple weeks I kept thinking what is it where is that what is that connection and out of the blues just came this idea of taking essential oils and not just using essential oils but mixing them to create this incredible almost heavenly um elixirs yes that were anti-aging and they were you know, they made the skin look great and they transport you to another place. And Eden was the first one um, that invigorates you and it has orange and it has rose and it has all these amazing oils that are great for you. And not knowing at that point whether I had another Eden in me came Provence and then it came eternal and it's fascinating creating products like that is it just second nature to me and because it has the plan factor into it and I just I it, it's just like second nature I think it's really your essential nature it was really your first nature that kept coming around and calling to you. And because of your love for beauty and your love for design and your abilities that you developed and your skills, combining back with what's natural and essential, that's where you began to feel liberated, like being, like coming home to yourself. That's very true. And what fascinates me is that I've been going for years to and checking essential oils out and I always open it and I smell and I go, oh no, it's too strong. No, 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 I, I can't handle that. And yet creating these mixes of different flowers and different elements became this amazing beauty and fragrance. Um, so that, I wasn't expecting that at all. You even created something to inspire you. Exactly. And that was like far-fetched for me. I, I was so jaded at that point in my life where I was thinking, well, I've done that. Nothing came out of it. Why should I try it again? Well, maybe I need to try it again. Let's try it again. Let's be open-minded. Let's float, trust the universe. And then it happened. And I was so shocked. I really was shocked. 
So can you share a little bit about what you did in the past? I mean, you have quite the worldly presence and experience. Where have you traveled to and what have you done? I grew up in Venezuela, in Caracas. Um, By the age of three, I was in Spain, in Madrid, in Barcelona with my mother. Um, Then moved back to Venezuela. I was a swimmer. I was a national champion uh, swimming at the age of 10. I went to the South American Games, Central American Games. So I've been always traveling. And by the time I was 16, I graduated from high school. And um, 17, I moved to Washington, D.C. by myself. In fact, I gave my parents uh, the right act, you sign here so I can leave the country, and I'm going to the United States. And they're looking at me like, (laughs) okay. And if I don't, I said, I'm going to leave anyway, so sign it. What courage? What courage? um, It was, I knew I had to come to this country. I just knew that if I was going to do anything with my life, it would be here. Uh, Even when I love my backgrounds and my roots and everything, I knew I was supposed to be here. So I live in D.C., I got married, had three beautiful kids. Um, I work in retail for May Company, I work for PwC for the government, I work with NASA, I work with even the White House. So... And then I moved to New York to expand my wings and to do what I love the best. And New York seemed to be fitted for design. And I was ready to go to New York and tackle New York. So so you said what you love the best. What what was that at that time that you loved the best? When, um, when I was in D.C., it was the beginning of the... Um, we were in the middle of analog era. And I'm going to divide it into those two things, the analog and the digital. So when I was studying communications at American University, um, we were in analog. Everything was done in analog. We were cutting film. We were splicing it together. Everything was analog. And my dream was to that will come the day where we would be able to do things that I imagined only in my head without having to go into the dark room and put all these things together to create an effect. So when the digital era came, I was like the first one who went like, sign me in, I am know what to do with this. Um, I studied with uh, this guy, Sen Hours, who was at the Corcoran, and he was incredible. He created like Metal Tools University. Um, he did goo, he, he was like, you know, one of these guys who was into the digital movement and he was my teacher in Photoshop, web design, illustrator and all that. So he kind of gave me wings and you know I would show up at school and do my projects and he was like, oh, you were just too good for this class. (laughs) And he used to make fun of me because I knew what I wanted. I could see it. because I already had had those limitations uh, being a photographer and being a filmmaker with film, where there was, you know, in order to do effects, you had to create platforms. You had to do a lot of things that, you know, with digital, you can do that, like, you know, like so simple using just a filter or a tool. So this is like a dream come true that you walked right into your dream. Yes, I was hired by PwC, and, and they were the cream of the creams, and they would say to you, what software do you want to use? I was like, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Which one I don't want to use? I want to use all of them. Um, and I became an animator with them. I did a lot of uh, Flash, which was... Um, the first software that actually allowed us to do animations for anything, for video, we could do interfaces. And so that was kind of the time of my life when I was doing things for NASA. You know, we were sending uh, visual communications through NASA throughout the whole United States. Things that I've done that I've created for them to get them excited about a program. Um, So, when I moved to New York, I was like, okay, I'm done with the government. I, now I want to give back to the community, and it's going to be all about health, nutrition. And um, so I walked into that world where people were developing these new ways of eating and fasting and, 
you know, doing plant-based diets and stuff like that. So it was exciting to be in New York at the time. So and how long were you there? I was there for almost seven years. Um, and I studied with... Uh, I got into that circle because I became um, friends of uh, Amy Rochelle, who is a guru for the role movement. And... Uh, I became, I started doing websites for them and they didn't, you know, they were all very, they had no idea what they were doing. So I was kind of branding all these people and they were putting me in, in shape, like no more sugar, no more coffee, only foods that came from, you know, were fresh, nothing cooked. And so that was fascinating. So that was my time in New York, kind of getting healthy, getting back to the basics, getting back to the plans. And I had a client who did Selnique um, and that was all based in plants. And that was when I started doing illustrations about plants and realizing at that moment that, wow, that's my calling. I, I love plants. I'm like, I'm always around plants. And here's my client in my, in my apartment in New York doing, asking me to do illustrations of plants and for a product that is pure base in plants. So it was like a big circle that you came back around to and it really struck you as, as resonant with your, your, your in, it struck you as resonant with your soul. Absolutely, absolutely. It just, I paid attention for the first time in my life that this was happening and this was real and that I had this connection. Um, I've told you about when I walk in my garden, there are plants that grow that were never planted there and they're medicinal plants. And mm. so I started researching them and I go, oh, that makes sense. That I know why they're there. Um, even in Tucson, even exactly. outside of Tucson, exactly. in this arid landscape or you would think an arid landscape. So how did you get here? Um, because of my connection with all the the health and nutrition and fasting, I met Dr. Gabriel Cousins from the Tree of Life Rejuvenation Center on Wall Street through a friend of mine who said, you have to come and see this guy. He cures diabetes with diet. I was like, really? So I went and I talked to him and I was convinced that he was in a mission and I needed to be part of it. So I came to do, I was their VP for streaming live uh, videos and doing their new branding. And I um, did interviews with people who were going through the program, his programs. And most of the people that I met that interview with me had cured their diabetes. And so I was pretty impressed. So I stayed there for two years. And, met the love of my life, and then I decided mm. to move on. So mm. There's always that love of your life love. is like the stamp of the universal <laughs> approval. Now you belong here. <laughs> and this is where you've created your plantation and your workshop and your whole new direction and product line. And I've had the pleasure uh, of being in you on your property on your plantation in Sonoida and the the quality and health of the plants uh, and the vegetables and the fields um, just stands out so much they're thriving they are bountiful they're uh, rich they're flavorful they're they smell so fantastic the colors are awesome <laughs> I, the garden and the fields represent your spirit and your soul so well. It's just astounding. It's fascinating. When I came out of the tree, people would say, well, you probably took classes on planting and gardening there. I didn't have time. I was doing video day and night, and video takes a lot of time. And so I never, I went, I visited the garden twice there. But when, I, when we moved to Sonoida, I decided that was a conscious decision that this was going to be my garden, my paradise, my whatever we could build. And it was really hard because of the desert. So we had to do a lot with the land to make it work. And we're still doing that. Um, and it feels like a long life project to, to tell, be doing this. Tell our listeners, what do you, what do you grow there? 
Right now, we started growing lavender fields, oh, and we have like a quarter of an acre of just lavender. Um, and is the lavender that grows in the high elevations, um, which is called Vera. This is the genus for that, and it's Augustifolia, lavandula Augustifolia, mm -hmm. which is um, the lavender that is used for essential oils. And I have three or four different kinds, but that's the one that I'm most interested in because it's medicinal. And so the essential oils that I put together are going to have those. And so right now we did our second harvest and I was really surprised because these plants are really babies. Mm. And we were getting, we got probably a pound of lavender flowers, which is unheard of. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, and they'll be used in which of your products? In, in the Provence, serum. definitely in the Provence. Um, in the Provence. Yes. Okay, I can't wait. Which is basically a serum. Yes. 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 It's yeah. an oil serum. Yeah. All organically grown, I imagine. All of it, yes. Mm -hmm. What is so beautiful about lavender is it doesn't need any pesticides. It doesn't okay. need anything. And it's perfect for the desert, and we have it on a slope. So if it rains, the water goes down, and the roots are maintained dry which is the only issue that lavender has so we we had it all figured out my husband was looking at me going like what are you doing where's this where's this going and now he's so happy he just walks with me through the fields and goes like I can see this happening I can see it I can see it now oh how exciting is that so that um, vision that you had came to be uh, came to uh, fruition in Literally your lifetime now, right? That vision coming to fruition, but I think this would be a good time to talk about the archetypes, because in talking about the goddess, there are so many, what we, what we say are patterns and predispositions, and so to be predisposed to nature is, is an archetype, to be a nature child to be a, um, a goddess of cultivation. Those are the kinds of things that when we talk about archetypes or natural inside of us, and when we meet it on the outside, it can blossom and we can be satisfied. And I can't wait to ask Alegria which goddess she identifies with the most. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. This is B.B. Peters and Dr. Andrea Gould and Jennifer Davis-Page. And we're all talking today to Alegria Ford, our fantastic website and graphic designer. And we're talking about her life, how she came to be where she's at now. And I've been dying to ask this question of you, Alegria, and that is this transformation, the alignment with your purpose. Has that evolved only in the last number of years? Could you have felt this in your 30s or 40s? Or was the 50s the magical era? When I was in my 30s, I, I had a really good friend of mine who was a designer who kept asking me to do things more organic. And I realized that what he meant was mirror nature in terms of creating something that was beautiful that will be, instead of man-made and with all the edges, would be more soft and curvy. And that's how I understood it. And I think that that's the reason why I became a really good designer because I had that connection with the planned world. And I felt that, oh, that's easy. You want me to make it more organic? I can do that. Um, but being in the organic world or in the plant world and experiencing plant as a medicine, um, it can only happen at this age in my life where I understand and really comprehend what it means and the, and the reasons why. I'm in the situation that I am in today that, yeah, it's the only way I can explain it. We've been talking about the beauty of maturity and how in nature a mature fruit 
can finally give life and can be eaten and can be purposed. And all of us as mature women really get to see that at a certain point in life, we it's irresistible to want to give back. And so your story really reminds us that when we circle back to what's essential in us and let that ripen, whatever the conditions are for ripening, like you know, attention and fertilization, um, not to mention to be loved, to be in the radiance of um, a feeling of love can really help us blossom and help us bring forth whatever it is that we need to give back to the world. So you've certainly illustrated that amazingly just in the story of your life. And you've defined what a goddess is, really, right? That's really what we've been talking about for the last hour. We've been talking about all the different archetypes that go into being a goddess. And, you know, your life has certainly encompassed the alchemical nature of the goddess Aphrodite, for instance, which is the goddess that brings together all matters of beauty and function. And there we have Allegria Hayes Ford as our Illuminaria goddess of this segment this week. Thank you for tuning in today. This is Dr. Andrea, Jennifer, and Bibi, your boom goddesses, signing off. Each voice of wisdom shares ripples out into our universe and inspires so many others. Namaste. For technical reasons, portions of this program have been pre-recorded. 